Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Jamila Rizvi and I'm joined today by my co-host Astrid Edwards and someone I am a really big fan of. Today we're joined by ABC TV 730's satirist Mark Humphreys who has co-authored a small book for Hachette's On series called On Politics and Stuff. They show us the world of politics as we have never seen it before. It's a very comprehensive book about Australian politics. The boys point out that it covers both houses of parliament. It takes us inside the halls of power in a way that is a little bit lighter, a little bit funnier and a little bit smarter, I would suggest, than some of what actually goes on inside those halls of power. You would know Mark and Evan from their work on 7.30 and their amazing satire skits that have a tendency to go viral. We are big fans of both Mark and Evan, so please make Mark Humphreys very welcome. Mark Humphreys, welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. When I got the request, I went, I feel like, <laughs> do they know who I am? They, has a mistake been made here? Maybe they've run out of guests. Yes. So thank you very much. The Hachette On series, which you've written for, has just been this powerhouse of Australian publishing over the last couple of years. And it gives authors, journos, thinkers, the chance to kind of dive deep into these meaty topics for longer than an evening news bulletin, but where they don't have to write an entire book. Where do you think your contribution sits within the on-series canon? (laughs) Well, I think, you know, when you look at the on-series and you look at the esteemed writers there, you look at names like Anne Summers and Blanche Dalpuget and Sarah Hansen Young, I think Mark Humphreys and Evan Williams are the natural next names that you think of. So I think it's a perfect fit. Yeah, no, it was it was a surprise to be included, but Louise Adler is uh, very persistent. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and who you know who are we to say no to Louise Adler? So we're thrilled to be in an esteemed company, but we're certainly conscious of the fact that there's a, a noticeable drop off between the sort of caliber of writer that traditionally is associated with the series. I'm a longtime reader and fan of the On series, and in your work on page 88, for anyone who is interested, you actually list potential future titles in the series from our esteemed list of former prime ministers from all sides of politics. Julia Gillard's perspective on Tony, Malcolm Turnbull's perspective on Tony. My question for you is, what is the role of satire in Australian politics? You have made a career out of it, but for those listening, why satire and why do we all need it? That's a great question. I think satire sometimes is sort of a gives you a license to, uh, I, I, this can sound so pretentious, to breathe out and when you're dealing with the sort of absurdity and the awfulness of a lot of politics. And I don't know, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure it's always been awful. In my head, it feels particularly awful <laughs> at the moment. I feel like it's getting worse. And so I think it's a sort of a, like a release valve. It's a kind of a coping mechanism, I think, to deal with that. Sometimes satire is almost like a kind of funny 
opinion section or something like that. It's sort of, it, it takes the place. It's a, it's a type of commentary that hopefully yeah, gives you a little bit of relief and sometimes also hopefully illuminates some of the issues or looks at them in a way that maybe might change your perspective about them. I mean, I'm not so naive as to believe that satire has the power to change the world, but I do believe that words have the power to kind of nudge it a little bit. So I think these days its role is sort of a, yeah, a little bit of relief from the darkness, but I, I apologise for, for giving such a, a pretentious response <laughs> to that answer. Not at all. It was good. You took us on a journey and everyone feels lovely about that now. I wanted to ask about who makes the best political fodder because I feel like when it comes to satire, the politicians that make the best fodder for you aren't necessarily the ones that are naturally funny on their own, right? Like I look at the Bob Catters of the world, you don't need to add anything to him, right? Like he's he's good, like you can just play his clips and it's hysterical. He's got it himself. So who for you makes for ripe satire? That's a really great question, yeah. I mean, so because like Barnaby Joyce is someone that obviously I've gone back to time and time again. He's in the perfect world where you can probably play a Barnaby clip on his own and that works comedically. But I also, you know, Evan and I have created this character called Barabbas Loins, which is very loosely inspired by Barnaby Joyce. It's not an impression. It's not even close. But his life lives sort of in parallel to Barnaby's. So Barnaby's done a lot of things, whether it's threatening Johnny Depp's dogs or his whole personal life mess that he's created and the moments like carp and and just his general demeanour in an interview. So he's right in the pocket. I'm trying to think who else I like. I, I used to love Nick Xenophon, but he was fun. Like he was someone who I also thought was really really understood how to play the game and he would do cartoonish things but knowingly because he understood the value of an image and generating attention and so I always sort of enjoyed him and I would there was one clip of him driving a child's car and I used to use that on the first show I worked on called The Roast I would probably play that clip once a week just I would find something that Nick Xenophon had said that day and then find a way to <laughs> crowbar in that clip. So when he retired, I was like, oh, that's a real loss. But yeah, you're right. The catters are no use. Trump was awful for satire. It was just, he was so far above and beyond anything he could do. Frydenberg was one that I've enjoyed so far in the sense that he's really, we did a sketch where he was, he's really bad on camera in terms of like um, his own social media. Actually, politicians doing social media videos. So, Frydenberg, Morrison, I've sort of enjoyed, you know, Morrison's obsession with cooking curries or, yeah, but Frydenberg's like got a really, really quite bad, can be quite bad on camera. So I enjoy playing with that sort of stiltedness. Pauline Hansen is one that I, you know, I, if she's, I feel like she's a bit of a pest really, but I'm sort of fascinated that she's been in the public eye for a quarter of a decade and still speaks like it's her first time on camera. I've always sort of thrown by that. Uh, people tell me I look like Speaker Tony Smith, but I haven't got an angle on him. He seems to be quite capable at, at his job. I mean, yeah, that's competency is a problem. Yeah, I mean, that's like, to me almost that is the joke. That's like he's the one guy who <laughs> who really seems to know what he's doing. So he's the sort of outlier. Andrew Lee is someone who interests me. He's in the Labor Party and he he's a marathon runner and he is so. I don't want to make this about people's appearance, but like he is so fit, like the skin is really tight to the skin. And someone told me he doesn't cook and he's done the math and he's worked out that it doesn't make sense for him to 
cook a meal, the time spent, <laughs> if, you, if, you, if you put it on a chart, time spent, money, what have you, it makes more sense per dollar per minute to order food than to cook meals. So he's really like, he's a kind of spreadsheet guy in my head. So I'm, I'm kind of interested that he's not factionally aligned, so he'll never get anywhere. He'll never be prime minister. He was the one guy who, when Labor shadow cabinet had too many members, I think they had to, there's a cap, like they can only pay 30 of them and they had 31 people. And Andrew Lee was the one person who went, um, I won't take a pay rise. I'll take a shadow cabinet. <laughs> Just like, this guy's never getting anywhere. But like, <laughs> what a fascinating character. And I think maybe we should have, probably have a little bit more of people like Andrew Lee. So he's only funny because he's sort of, seems to be kind of trying to do the right thing. Or <laughs> that is rare in our politics. Now, I want to talk a little bit about gender. Anyone in public life, anybody who holds political office is obviously ripe for satire and humour that is part and parcel of that kind of public notoriety and public power. But Australia's politics is full of misogyny. And so when you are writing and thinking about jokes, how do you balance not actually being horribly misogynistic with really good political satire that is funny and kind of cuts. That's one of the big concerns we have when you want, when you, when we are tackling those topics is you don't want to be replicating it because there is a sort of, I've seen this happen a lot and, and, and I, um, and I may well have contributed to it in the past. I hope not, but just where you sort of in your effort to send something up, you think of your own offensive thing to say under the guise of, Oh, I'm satirizing that other thing. But then at a certain point you go, I don't know. That just sounds like it's just something unpleasant. I just, I just I think you're just kind of adding more of that in the world. One way we dealt with it was we did a sketch about, I think we called it like liberal parties. You know, there's this whole thing about the liberal party as a woman problem, clearly a man problem, but the problem, you know, in the sense that women are underrepresented and undervalued and all the, everything else that, you know, I don't need to tell you, but all the experiences that they go through in political life. And so our one way around that was like, well, there's no point just me having me be some awful guy. Let's bring in Virginia Gay to portray one of these Liberal Party women. And Virginia, I mean, is just one of Australia's great actresses and really funny comedic performer. And if you haven't seen that sketch, I mean, it sounds like I'm promoting my own work, but I'm promoting Virginia's plea. Her performance is so great as I'm sort of someone who's constantly, you know, stepping in and speaking over her. And then just the subtlety of her just trying to toe the party line and keep it together and just gradually escalating, escalating. Because there was a press conference with Scott Morrison and was it Anne Ruston, maybe? And a question had been directed to Anne and Scott Morrison jumped in. And <laughs> if I could just say... And so that was sort of like just presented to us on a platter. It's just like, okay, well, let's just do that. Let's just, just do that over and over again, but then have Virginia give that character the chance to kind of articulate what you imagine, what a woman in that position might want to say and let her gradually reach that crescendo of where she eventually snaps and I think she hits me with a shoe or something. So that's one way that we dealt with it. But that's a really good point. You don't want to be just adding more misogyny or awfulness to the discourse. I remember that clip so well and I think I sent it to about a thousand people, which leads me to my next question. How conscious are you when you're 
writing or when you're making video, how conscious are you of social media and the kind of shareability of content? Or do you have to sort of divorce yourself from the sort of marketing publication strategy to be able to make the best work? Yeah, look, it's something that is in the back of your mind. But I think if you start thinking in those terms, we're already dead. Because the primary thing for our primary audience is the 730 audience. So we have a responsibility to our uh, to the shows, to our producers, to deliver a segment that is going to be aired on television at about 7.55 on a Thursday. Anything after that is pure cream. But we, we need to get that thing on air. So the challenge there is that the ABC audience traditionally, and I think people within the ABC wouldn't want me to say this, but traditionally is, is an older audience, okay? Whereas the social media audience sometimes is a bit younger. And so you want to be making something that is going to play for the quote-unquote ABC audience, if it can also have a social media life as well, then that's fantastic. But primarily we're making it for the TV. We're certainly aware that there's sketches where you get a sense, you're like, I feel like this is something that I think I feel like we're tapping into a rage here or where there's something about this that could catch fire. And then there are times where you've thought that and been completely wrong and you put the sketch out to the world and it's just you know, crickets. So I can't really pick it, but like our biggest success was this one called the Greta Thunberg helpline because there was just commentator after commentator, just, you know, the Andrew Bolts and the Piers Morgans of the world who just wouldn't let this girl go. And it was so odd because she's, (laughs) I, I can't think of a more positive thing that I mean, of all the kids in the world, like she's doing the best I wasn't doing anything at 16. I was playing Goldeneye. You know, she's out there trying to raise awareness of the arguably easily the most important issue of our time. And she's just getting hammered by these grown men. And it was just, it was, it just added another weird element to it. It's just like men in their fifties really. Anyway, so it just kept happening. And it was just like, I think, I think we should do something on that. So we came across this idea of a helpline, but I don't think we thought, I thought, oh, yeah, people who are sort of aware of the commentary will kind of get behind it. But we put it out. It just immediately, like my phone sort of became unusable. Within a couple of hours, Greta herself retweeted it. And then it was just completely just went in around the world and, and was bonkers. You know you have done a good thing if Greta Thunberg retweets you uh, with positive <laughs> intent. I wanted to, <laughs> wanted to ask you about your relationship with the you know, the figures that you lampoon. These politicians, they are in the media. Sometimes being satirised is good for them. Sometimes it's not. How do you negotiate that or how do they react to you? Yeah, so the, the, the examples that come to mind are there was, after Scott Morrison became, soon after he became Prime Minister, we did a sketch. Yeah, it was one, I've got a recurring character called Tony Chevelle, who's like a filmmaker who keeps getting hired by the government to do either social media videos or in one case we had him, we had him directing the milkshake consent video. He's sort of gun for hire within the, within the government. So early within Morrison's prime ministership, we did a thing where yeah, he was Scott Morrison's videographer shooting all of his social media videos. And Scott Morrison retweeted that video and said something like, uh, oh, I had, had a good laugh, mate. Uh, keep up the good work. And, and it was a thing where you went, ah, oh, you bastard, because you've kind of neutralized me. Like, I, <laughs> because if you're kind of in on it, then it's not, if you're kind of okay with it, then maybe it's not very good. 
like so, so it's not very maybe it's not very sharp if you if some people are watching it going yeah great so I I thought like okay well played well played so he did that and then a couple of weeks later Josh Frydenberg posted a really yeah stilted Facebook video and so we did this character again and then Frydenberg retweeted that and quote tweeted it and made a sort of similar self-deprecating remark and then in question time. Anne Ali asked a question of Josh Frydenberg about whether or not he was going to be, I think there was some conference going on or something, whether Frydenberg would be attending or whether he would be sending a video message. And Frydenberg got up in time and said, uh, I've actually enlisted the help of uh, Mark Humphreys uh, with my uh, uh, video. And it was like, oh, my God, this is so... Because in my head, Evan and I are just two people operating in a corner of the ABC with our shooter editor, um, Chloe Angelo, and just doing our little sketches. And the idea that someone would get, you know, that the treasurer would get up and reference them in Parliament was insane. So they've had a kind of publicly polite response to them. I don't know, <laughs> behind the scenes. Someone did tell me that a member of the Prime Minister's office went into one of the press gallery offices and asked one of the journos, uh, What's Mark Humphreys like? <laughs> so, so just sort of try, got this in, just, just trying to just get, what's the deal with that guy? So, I, you know, I'm conscious of the fact that they are, clearly are aware of them. I don't know to what extent they watch them. I've heard that Barnaby Joyce does not like being called Barabbas. I've heard that people have shouted that at him and that he doesn't <laughs> like that. So I know that one. But other than that, I've had some online encounters with Latham, but he's a sort of special case. So those are the ones that come to mind. And occasionally politicians will retweet. Yeah, I mean, they certainly retweet stuff that's critical of the other side. I think I remember hearing that Erica Betts was annoyed by something I'd done once, but I think it was about suggesting. Yeah, I think he'd said he was when he was saying that maybe after same-sex marriage, people could, might end up marrying a the Sydney Harbour Bridge. So I did a sketch where I was, I was outside the bridge and going, you know, this is a ridiculous claim. There's no way that anyone, and I turned to the bridge and I suddenly, it becomes, you know, boy, you know boys to men starts playing. It was an amorous moment. Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, it's a, it's a good looking bridge. You know? <laughs> and yeah, those are the ones that come to mind, but I haven't had anyone be really hostile, though I suspect they might like to be. <laughs> Mark, we've been talking about on politics and stuff and we haven't mentioned your co-author yet Evan Williams now you two have this writing partnership that's been going for some time now what makes you two good at working together and how do you work together what does the process look like well Evan is brilliant Evan is is an absolute genius writer we've been working together for about nine years now part of the reason that it's a very good working relationship is Evan hates performing He, he hates it so much <laughs> that it's hard to even convince him. Sometimes we'll need like an arm to hand me something on screen and you can see the hesitation just like he's just looking for other people <laughs> that could be that arm. So the upside of that is that Evan has no ego. So Evan's not someone who is trying to crowbar himself into the sketches. He's really looking at pure, looking at it purely from a writing standpoint. So that makes it really easy. He's just, he's, yeah, he's not thinking about himself. He's just thinking about, you know, what are the words that we need that Mark can perform or Virginia can perform or whoever else it is. So I think that's certainly part of it. Another nice element is that we're on the same page, but we're different enough that we can surprise each other. So we write usually in a, in a Google doc so we can see what the other person is writing in real time. And the fun part of that, usually we've got, we're listening to our respective Spotify playlists while we're doing this. And sometimes I'll see Evan write a line and then that will spark something for me and I'll add something to that. 
vice versa. He'll see something that I've written and then he'll, he'll punch it up or add an extra layer to it. And that's kind of fun watching that happen in, in real time. And sometimes, you know, we, <laughs> you know, if we like the line that the other person wrote, you know, we'll put a little dollar sign next to it or sometimes even to the point where if we love a line, I'll call them up and I'll just go, yes, that's, that's it. It's a fantastic partnership. And, and one of the other nice elements of it as well is that Evan has a, a background in sound. He used to work helping find, I think, finding like music tracks for commercials and things like that. So an element of our sketches, it's a small element, but it does actually make a huge difference in the edit is what the music bed is going to be that works. Because with the wrong music bed, it actually completely changes the tone. It can actually can kill a sketch. And so he's got that ad- additional skill that depending on what the tone of the sketch is, he can go, oh, I know what sort of music. He knows the keywords to look up in the database and all those sorts of things. So that's another element there. To his credit, there was a sketch recently where he did appear on screen where it was something where he actually put his hand up and in and said, I know I can do this role. And so that was, that was thrilling, but I've learned not to expect that from him <laughs> to go to him as a last resort. Mark, we both thoroughly enjoyed on politics and stuff as much as we have enjoyed this interview as well. I'm going to forgive you for just how mean you are about Canberra, my hometown, in the opening pages of this book. But that aside, we loved having you. Thank you for being on Anonymous Was a Woman. An absolute honour. No, I really enjoyed it. And thank you for reading the book. And apologies to the people of Canberra. We do love you. We were just trying to have some fun. <laughs> That's all we've got time for with Mark Humphreys today, but he has put on a smile on my face for the rest of the afternoon. If you would like to get your hands on a copy of On Politics and Stuff, you can find it at all good bookstores or online via Booktopia. If you head to the Hachette website, you can also find out more information. Now, if you would like to hear more of Anonymous Was a Woman, if you would like to come back with us on Monday for our next episode, then you should subscribe or follow us wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, why not leave us a cheeky rating and a review? This episode was made possible thanks to the awesome people at Hachette Publishing who are sponsoring this season of Anonymous Was a Woman. Thanks also to Bad Producer Productions and Future Women. 